Hi, I'm Carolyn Cooper, and this is Mental Health and Faith, A Closer Look. May is Mental Health Month. This is a great opportunity to do some self-assessment and consider where you are with your mental health. This month, I have some great interviews I'll be sharing with people who are involved in organizations like NAMI and Mental Health First Aid. We'll find out about resources, but we'll also hear stories of victory, of overcoming, of persevering through the recovery journey. Please subscribe. You don't want to miss. Now, if you're in a crisis, pick up your phone if you're in the United States and call or text 988. That is the Suicide Prevention Lifeline and Crisis Line. Now sit back and enjoy the show. Hi, this is Carolyn Cooper and welcome to another May episode for Mental Health Month. And today my guest is Marsha Morgan. I first heard her name when I was working as a certified peer specialist in the mental health field at Truman Behavioral Health. And her name was was batted around as the person who knew a lot about trauma and trauma-informed care. And I was fascinated by that because I experienced trauma in childhood. And I, I just did something that I'm very interested in. So we have a treat today to hear Marcia talk about trauma trauma-informed care, trauma-informed practices, all kinds of terms that you may or may not have heard before. So I'm going to let Marcia start by giving us a little bit more of an introduction of who she is and say, welcome to the show, Marcia. I'm just thrilled that you're here. Thanks, Carolyn. I'm delighted to be here too and glad that we could get this scheduled in May for Mental Health Month. And Just a little bit about my background. I've been in the field of mental health and substance use services for more than 50 years now. um, And really probably can tell you that I'm also a family member of folks who have serious and persistent mental illness and are substance use disorders, right? Um, So it's it was in my blood to probably do this kind of work. When I started my career, I actually was working for the Missouri Department of Mental Health, and I've always worked with people who have serious and persistent mental illness and are um, long-term chronic addictions. That was where I belonged. That's That was always my fit. Um, we were part of the Department of Mental Health for, um, well, I was there for 23 years. And then- oh. We were privatized. And when we were privatized in May of 1997, the contract from the Department of Mental Health was awarded to Truman Medical Center. And I became the the chief operating officer for behavioral health at Truman. And that's how I finished my career. It was much better than I ever could have imagined. Truman uh, afforded me many, many opportunities. And One of the opportunities that Truman brought or allowed us to do was to really pursue becoming trauma-informed. And that happened actually in 2009 when the Missouri Department of Mental Health said, we're going to offer organizations to become trauma-informed and you'll have access to national consultants and trainings and all kinds of things. And while I thought 
After 35 years, I knew everything that needed to be done about trauma. Um, I found out I didn't. And one of the very first things our national consultant said that was got me on this wagon that I'm on and have been on for now over 10 years was ask permission to shut the door. Whenever you're meeting with clients, ask permission to shut the door. And I thought, 35 years? And nobody ever told me to ask permission to shut the door. And yet, when you think about it, it makes so much sense, right? If you're a person who has experienced trauma and the trauma occurred behind a shut door, then shutting the door can be a triggering event and can send somebody into a real tailspin. It's like... Well, everybody needs to know this. Mm -hmm. If I didn't know it after 35 years, and I did lots of trainings, and I've been in the field for all those years, so um, I became really, really, really passionate about introducing both the science and the research about trauma, as well as then what are trauma-informed practices that we want to promote in not just healthcare, in education, in policing and, you know, the court system, all of those things. So that's kind of my story. That's how I got here. And I had to pursue my passion. Sometimes you take a path. Yes. Sometimes unexpected path. And it's, it's very interesting because you'd been in the mental health field for 35 years, you said, before this experience with finding out. So in, in some ways, the trauma-informed care mindset is relatively new, or is that true? It is, um, yes. Part of the reason people hear about armed services people having PTSD, and so it was always very much like, okay, well, this is armed services people. Right. There, you know, it, This isn't the rest of us. It's just people who have gone to war. The study that was done now almost 30 years ago, 35 years ago, was um, with Dr. Folletti and Dr. Anda. And what they figured out was, no, trauma is occurring to a lot of people, mm-hmm. a lot of people, and and it's having impact. And that's when I think people started taking a look at, I mean, you know, I grew when I grew up, the myth was don't worry about kids. Kids get over it. Kids have, yeah, they have bad stuff happen to them, but they get over it. Not true. And that's what um, Anda and Floody's study showed. People don't get over it. People yeah. Are, people have long-term consequences if they don't get the right supports. That is absolutely true. And that was my experience for it taking 30 years from the time I had some trauma before I got the help I needed. But that's another story. <laughs> I think I think it's going to be important to help the people who who are listening and may not be as familiar with trauma and what it is and what it isn't and things like that. So I have a question I was going to ask you, and that is, um, I had PTSD, post traumatic stress disorder, because of my childhood trauma. But I also have a diagnosed mental illness, and I know from my own experience and such that. Having a mental illness can happen even if you don't have trauma. It's, it's right. something different. 
And someone can experience trauma and not necessarily develop a mental illness. I have a friend who had severe trauma, but she never really was diagnosed with mental illness. So can you kind of help clear up the differences and the connections between trauma and mental illness? I can try. Okay. Or it may not be that easy, right? <laughs> um, think of it this way. Think of two intersecting circles, right? But, but the circles are not on top of each other. So there's, if you think of, quote, people who have mental illness, who have not had trauma, they're kind of in one part of the circle. And then if you think of the second circle, the circle on the right, and there's people who have had trauma but don't have mental illness. But then where the circles intersect, Mm-hmm. then that's the that's the folks who I would think of have uh, mental illness and but their mental illness may be um, a result of their trauma, okay. right? It's not it's not necessarily that they had mental illness and then they had trauma. It could be the other way. The fact is is that yes, there are people who may be diagnosed with severe depression, right or, bipolar disorder or um or even um schizophrenia or some of the you know subsections of schizophrenia who have not necessarily experienced trauma there is a genetic predisposition if you will yes um at least as far as we know you can grow up in a wonderful family and you know two parents and you're loved and you're nurtured and there's nothing traumatic that happens to you and you still may end up with a diagnosis and on the other hand there are people who have serious traumatic events and may experience complex trauma and don't develop mental illness they may have symptoms of depression but once they get the supports they need uh, depression may subside right so it's not this long-term diagnosed depression it's more situational because we've had this trauma what the research what the science tells us about the folks in the middle particularly children if you are a child who has experienced abuse neglect or i call it significant chaos in the family right so violence um, parents who are incarcerated, parents who have mental illness. Pov- um, I want to be very careful about that. Not always poverty, but not having food to eat, not having housing, not having, not being stable in your school. All of those stressors do impact brain development. And so if you don't have the right supports and the right interventions, then there are parts of your brain that are not developing the way that they need to. So then you are more prone to have mental illness or to be diagnosed with mental illness, uh-huh. right? Because we're, I, I think the science is still evolving. Okay. Right? Interesting. Well, yeah, things, we learn new things every day. And I love that you talked about brain. I mean, you know, what, 10, 15, 20 years ago, would we didn't know that much about brain development, right? I think we thought we knew some things. But now because of MRIs and um, all of the 
the imaging that we can do, we can actually see what parts of the brain are not developed and what parts of the brain are very developed. We can then design treatment interventions for people to help because the exciting part is the brain is plastic. Different neural pathways can be developed as a result of what we know, right? So, and hopefully this will make sense to you as a, as a music ed person. I'm such a huge believer in, in the expressive, in the expressive therapies, music, art, drama, dance. It's like you get to develop all kinds of new neural pathways that then you compensate for the things that have happened to you. Ah, I just think that's beautiful. I was actually at a conference last week. I, a couple of their the keynote speakers both talked about brain development, but I think that's fascinating. I think that's really important, like you said, to target treatment based on really your physiology. Right. And that that's part of why I've, I'm on this journey is because it's like people, we, we spent so many years in the field of psychiatry, in the field of mental illness, mm-hmm. looking at people's symptoms. Yes. And, and, and we treat the symptoms and we weren't getting to the root causes. Mm-hmm. And if the root cause is really physiological and it's about your brain or it's about your digestive system or it's about your heart, why aren't we doing, why aren't we taking care of that? Right. I mean, that was the part that it's like we have to take care of what is the root cause, where it is that is there's something askew. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, right. So I'm on a I'm on a kick right now, Carolyn, and I'll t- <laughs> I'll, I'll own it. <laughs> My kick right now is I really believe that there are two things that should happen for people who are having symptoms of mental illness. One of them is I believe they should have a brain scan, a true brain scan. And I believe that they should have the opportunity to really have an understanding about what is working in their brain and what isn't working, right? If you know that it's about your brain, so many people, when they have behaviors and they're not, and they're, they're medicated for lack of a better term, are they think they're bad people. They think that there's something wrong with them and there isn't. I mean, it's like if there's something going on in your brain and you know that you can work on it, then you have an opportunity that you didn't think you had before because you thought you were out of control. You thought there was no control, right? The other thing that I think people who have, um, who are having symptoms of mental illness actually deserve to have is a sleep study because what I know about my people, my people being people who have mental illness and substance use is I know that my people don't sleep well. And when you don't sleep well, then you start losing it. We know that you start hallucinating after so many hours of sleep or so many days of sleep deprivation. We know that you start not being able to eat or digest your food. I mean, there's all kinds of things that happen to you. So if if we know these two things, what are your sleep habits and how can we help you sleep better? And we know what's going on in your brain. 
maybe we can help you physically heal. Love that so much as a person who could use those things. Um, Marsha, where it, does your consulting business deal with some of these kinds of things? Or do you know, if I wanted to go get a brain scan, how do you go about doing that? Um, good question. I know you can get it. I know that there, most of the hospitals will do sleep studies. Um, I know that at least as far as I know, still that at university health, which was Truman medical center, that one of their, um, one of our psychiatrists there, Dr. Farnan was, did a fellowship in sleep study. And so he is a sleep specialist as well as being a psychiatrist. And so that would not because I, I, I have any reason to promote Truman. Please understand I don't work for Truman or anymore or anything like that. But I, but I know that he would be able to understand and help people, okay. you know, um, with that. If I were looking for someplace to ask around about sleep, I would want to ask what, you know, how do you connect sleep with symptoms of mental illness? Mm -hmm. Not how do you connect sleep with um, sleep apnea or sleep to sleep disorders, but what do you do to help people really address these issues around, around sleep? Um, how do you make sure that our people feel safe? when they're taking the sleep study, because that's the other thing that we found um, as we were working with the sleep center at Truman is so many people were having trouble with sleep. They would get referred, but they, they couldn't complete the studies because they didn't feel safe. Our technicians, our doctors, our people who are in those sleep clinics need to be trauma informed so that they can, Make sure that when people come in, you know, they're treated by the right gender of the person who's treating them and that people understand, you know, how to help people deescalate or, or regulate because it's, it's anxiety producing. You're going someplace strange. You're going to supposed to sleep there the whole night and you got wires stuck to you and all that. It's like, that's not, I, 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 don't, I don't know if I could. Yeah, I, that would be difficult. This this other piece about the brain, um, Carolyn, I haven't had a chance yet to really research the city to okay. see where you could get a really good brain scan. But there are hospitals where it's like they have the 3D imaging mm -hmm. and that's what you would be looking for. Right. Not just a simple not just a simple scan, but you're really and, and somebody who really understands and can speak to this is, the, you know, this is these are the parts of the brain that are not working, and and this is the part that is, and this is what you need to do about it, right? We don't do any of that, but um, there's got to be imaging centers that do have that level of technology because it's not it's it's not new, right? I tell you, I mean, and I'll try to. Maybe I can find some stuff and put it in the show notes when I get this posted. And if not, at least people now are can do their own research if it's something they're interested yeah. in. But I do think it's I do think it would be very beneficial. Marsha, we are only have a few minutes left, but do you have anything that you think would be really beneficial for someone to know about, you know, say 
someone who may not necessarily have ever done anything about mental health. They may have trauma, they may not have trauma, and they've just kind of been like I was for a long time, just kind of ignored it. What would you say to that person? What what kinds of ideas would you give someone to take that step of evaluating and taking care of their mental health? That's a great question. I would say th there's a couple things. Pay attention to your body and if you're and and recognize when you're not sleeping or you're not thinking clearly um, to take a step back and don't blame yourself, mm. but to think about think about what's going on that is um, that is impacting your your ability to sleep or your you know, thinking, it's like, take a look at what your stress levels are, right? There's good stress. We, you know, you and I just had stress trying to make sure that we were here and we were on time and all those kinds of things. But, but when you start noticing, I can't make a decision. I'm having trouble making a decision. I'm having trouble sleeping. I'm starting to snap at the people around me, or I don't even want to be around the people around me. Then I, then it's like, what is going on? And, and then that's the opportunity. Two things. If you don't want to reach out to a, you know, to a health professional or to, you know, to maybe you don't have a close friend or, you know, whatever journal. Yeah. Start, start journaling mm -hmm. because you're, or start recording your feelings and what's going on because your feelings are going to come to the surface if you just start letting all that out, yeah. right? The, what what makes us worse is when we bury our feelings. Yes. Um, and so it's like, don't be afraid to feel it. And don't be afraid to, to reach out and say something to somebody and to say, you know, something's going on and I just don't talk to your plant, you know, <laughs> I would say, don't talk to you. find a find person, a person. Somebody find a per yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. So it's it's reach out and you know, and and sometimes it's like you can say, I don't need you to do anything. Just listen to me, yes. because what we've learned is a lot of the healing starts when we start talking, and when we start talking, then all of a sudden our head starts clearing. Right? It's like. Oh, that's what's going on. And I have that aha moment where I can, now I can, now I get it. You know, um, some people for me, when I start feeling kind of off, one of the things that I have to do is I have to walk. And sometimes I have to walk miles, right? I mean, it's the physical, because the tension, what we know about being dysregulated, what we know about trauma is it li it's living in our cells, right? And so if we're having adversity, you know, even if we think, oh, I can, I can handle this. I'm really strong and I can handle this. And then all of a sudden you go, wait, maybe not so much. It's like some people can meditate. Carolyn, I can't meditate when I'm dysregulated. I have to walk. It's like, let me walk What you know, let me, let me throw a basketball. Let me do something physical so that then, then I can think when I was younger, I would walk and a lot, a lot of times I'd be crying 
and I would, you know, and maybe I'd walk an hour and I'd be crying for 45 minutes or so. And then after I cried it all out, then I was like, I can handle this. In just uh, the little time we have left, I'm going to say that I think from what you just said, it's just a, a really good reminder that everyone is an individual and our bodies are totally unique. Yes, we have a lot of similar things, obviously, with anatomy and such. But the important thing is, like you said, be aware of your body. Be aware of what works for you. You may have to try several things. You may have to Absolutely. try a lot of things. And you may have to at some point say, I do need professional mental health, a mental health professional to help me. But I, I love what you said about just getting things started. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. And please send me your comments, questions, and even suggestions to carolyn at ingodscorner.org. That's C-A-R-O-L-I-N-E at ingodscorner.org. 